Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg as always, and today we've got a, a lot of little things to talk about, so we're going to hit the ground running. We're going to start cranking on it right away. But first, first things first, uh, I'm going to talk about my experience watching the Venom movie last week. So skip ahead like <clears throat> five minutes or so. Uh, if you don't want any spoilers, I... I uh, I didn't like it. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to say. So it's going to be a little harsh. I'm not going to talk about story spoilers. Uh, I'm going to try to be pretty general. So if you still want to listen, you should be okay. I'll try to throw like a quick spoiler thing. And if I'm going to launch a serious thing, but I don't think I will because the issues I had with it weren't necessarily tied to any sort of uh, connection to the story or anything. So um, Venom came out and uh, I always preface this by saying, like, I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. If you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you'll remember that I did an episode after I watched Spider-Man Homecoming and how just, like, great that felt. Um, I, I didn't think it was a perfect movie, though. Like, I don't remember any super memorable scenes, and I haven't watched it since then. Like, it wasn't a movie that, like, I just felt like I had to watch multiple times. I think Spider-Man's appearance in Captain America 3 was the ultimate Spider-Man experience. Like, him getting introduced into the universe that way was really, really awesome. So I was very, very happy with Spider-Man joining the MCU. So now you go back to Sony, though. And, and if you don't know how that deal worked, so a long time ago, Marvel uh, sold the rights when they were about to crash you know, and burn. They sold their rights to Sony, the movie rights to Spider-Man. And a lot of the things in the contract basically say as long as they keep making movies, they get to keep the license. And so it sucks because as the MCU's coming around, um, you don't like, you want all these properties to come home to Disney, let them give them the proper movie experience that we all want. And, uh, so however, Disney was able to make an amazing deal to put Spider-Man, no pun intended to put Spider-Man into the Marvel universe. They basically, I think they gave Sony like distribution rights or something still. Sony didn't have to do anything and they just collected a paycheck. Well, of course they're going to take that deal, right? Who wouldn't? But on the flip side of that, Sony still owns all the rights to multiple Spider-Man characters, including Venom. Um, there's rumors that they're working on a Morbius, Mobius, Mor 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 Mobius, Mobius movie. That's like he's like a vampire. Um, and, and then there was rumored that they were making a Sinister Six movie, a bunch of other stuff. So, while as a Spider-Man fan, I think it's great to see some of my favorite villains and heroes hitting the screen. It's not great to see them made by a company that's not taking such good care of their properties. Like Sony, it's not their properties. They don't care. Like they're just licensed to make a Spider-Man movie and they're going to make one if they think it can make them money. And Venom was an interesting one because it had been on the docket for quite a while. And then you were hearing rumors about it and you're like, is this going to happen? Is it not going to happen? And then boom, it happens. And you're like, oh, okay, Tom Hardy's attached. Okay, oh, it's oh, it's filming. Okay, oh, it's it's done. Oh, okay, they've wrapped filming. Oh, okay, it's coming out in six months. Okay. Okay, cool. And Venom is a personal favorite of mine. Um, my very first comic book I ever bought was uh, issue two of the Maximum Carnage crossover. So uh, I came into contact with Venom right away. Like he was already around, but then as I started to go back to read more original Spider-Man comics, watching Venom come in as a character and, and, and his origins, like I found uh, I have the Secret Wars comic, which is the first appearance of the alien symbiote as a suit when uh, Peter Parker wears it as Spider-Man. And, and so like, I have a lot of attachment to those characters. And so 
I'm, I'm, I wanted to set up all this base to understand why seeing a movie like this was so disappointing to me. And it's, again, it's not that it's a bad movie, right? So the first thing I want to say is it's not a bad movie. In fact, a lot of people really like it. And if you liked it and you've seen it, I'm very happy for you. Like, I don't, I don't relish in other people hating something and I don't wish them to hate something if they like it. You know, I'm, I'm always very positive that way. And so I, if you, if you saw the movie and you liked it, excellent. If you're excited to go see it, go see it. But the things I'm going to tell you here are legitimate, in my opinion, complaints about the movie. And the first one, the first comment I have to make about this movie, this is the first thing I say to people when they ask if I liked it or if I'm going to watch it. I said, this would have been a great superhero movie in 2003. And when I say when I, what I mean when I say that is not that the effects were dated or the actors were dated, nothing like that. But what it does is it's part of those Marvel movies that were coming out before the MCU came together, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So before that all came together, before you had one person with a vision kind of bringing this all together, that's what this movie felt like. It felt kind of like a cash-in, like, hey, you know, we can make a movie that's still fun to watch. It's it's action. It's acceptable. It's got a big name attached to it. And people will go to the theater and watch it because it's tied to a famous comic book property, which, as you can see from the, the weekend opening like that, is happening. Um, it's just it wasn't done with the polish and the like the connectivity of the MCU and not that every Marvel universe movie is perfect by any stretch, but I think that they've done an incredible job. Like I think Captain America two and three are just incredible. I like the first Avengers movie, but Captain America two and three are probably the, the peak for me. Uh, and then obviously Avengers three was just awesome. Uh, and we'll have to see where that goes. Um, so getting to venom, you know, they start off, you know, like a ship crashes into earth and it's got the symbiote on it. And you're like, okay, so this is, you know, I understand you can't do the, uh, you can't do the, Oh, Spider-Man's part of the secret wars. And then he gets the suit and then he wears the suit for 600 years. And then for, he wears a suit for six months and then he gets the suit off. And then the suit joins Eddie Brock and becomes Venom. Like, I understand you can't set that up in a movie. Like it, it's fine. So having the symbiote crash on earth or something makes total sense. Um, and you've got this villain who is basically the, the Indian Elon Musk. So he's, he's got, he, he runs a spaceship company, but he's also got a pharmaceutical company and he's got this company and he's just this really young, like I can change the world kind of guy, except he's, and he's willing to use the symbiote to make that happen. You know, that that's the setup of the movie. And then Tom Hardy is, you know, this, uh, he plays Eddie Brock, uh, who is this journalist who is known for his expose pieces. And, and for some reason they have him interview this guy and he decides to, do an expose piece on him and then it's it all happens so that's the setup that's the first 10 minutes of movie and so as you're watching the movie though i don't think venom appears for like 45 minutes and th that's very disappointing you know it's like i understand you have to set up story and you have to set up these sort of things but like this is something that it, it was just important i don't know like like he should have been they should have, if you're going to, if you're going to not do a good backstory anyway, just skip it, you know, do kind of like, we already know Venom is a, who he is. Right. And so I normally like origin stories, but not when it takes 45 minutes to get to that. And a lot of people are saying how brilliant Tom Hardy was in the movie. I know I'm in the vocal, very vocal now, but vocal minority. When I say I thought he was terrible, I don't like his representation of Eddie Brock being like this weird, 
I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know how much of that is the directing and the editing as opposed to his actual performance. Um, when him and Venom are going back and forth, there was some good stuff there. Um, throughout the whole movie, you never really feel like they're, they're, they're finally working together, I guess. I, it just, it just always felt like, you know, they were, you know, they were feuding the whole time and, and arguing, but then kind of seemingly out of nowhere, the symbiote makes, you know, the symbiote like helps him or something for no reason. And, this is kind of a spoiler, but not really. So if you don't want any, any spoilers, like just click ahead, like a minute or two or a couple minutes, but I want to talk about one part specifically in the movie. And I talked about this on the drop cast last night, but it was very, very annoying to me. And it's like, cause one of the, one of the most annoying things in the movie, I can't talk about cause it's the after credit scene. It's a big spoiler. And I want to talk about that, but this scene isn't really a spoiler, but you know, there's, there's obviously they were together for a while. Something happens. Eddie Brock and the symbiote split and then they're finally coming back together and Eddie Brock is confused, you know, because he's like, well, why, why, why would you come back and help me? Why would you come back for me? And because the whole movie they've been setting up Eddie Brock is like, he threw his career away. Like he, he, he couldn't play by the rules. So he threw his career away and, and he threw this away and like, he lost, he lost everything. And he, now he's down in the dumps, you know? And so when you get to this part of the movie, he's like, why'd you come back? And the symbiote, and I'm going to, I'm going to do the voice because I think this voice is actually pretty good. Uh, it's it's a little bit of like evil voice mixed with like strong bad from Homestar Runner, but like he goes, "Well, why'd you come back?" And the symbiote goes, <clears throat> "Well, on my planet, I am sort of a loser too." Uh, okay. So the symbiote joined back with Eddie Brock because he's a loser, and they're both losers, and they thought they could be losers together. Like what? 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 Um, so it's stupid. It's stupid. It was really stupid. And and that, that like, I remember slinking down in my chair and just being like, like my head, I'm like, Oh my God, what what am I watching? What am I watching? And, uh, so that was one of the, one of the many cringy parts of that movie. And there were times when the audience was laughing at stuff that wasn't supposed to be funny. And it, it was super cringy. And then there were times when there was legitimately some humor, a funny part, and I chuckled, and it's fine. Um, I gave the movie exactly what IGN gave it. I thought it was a dead on. I gave it a 4 out of 10. I thought it was perfectly fine 2003 superhero movie pre-Marvel Universe. Now that the Marvel Universe has set a certain standard and expectation, this movie, in my opinion, slid underneath that. So it, it's just... It was a cash in, you know, and you got to show your big star Tom Hardy's face more than anything, you know, and I know they even do that in like Iron Man. They still have Tony Stark, like taking his helmet off and then putting it back on. But it just seemed more egregious in this movie. Like they couldn't just go full Venom enough. You know, it was just, you know, whatever. Um, and Tom Hardy, I, I just I can't get over like his representation of Eddie Brock. And it just uh, it, the whole thing kind of irked me, quite honestly. And and so it was fine. It was a fine movie. Like, I didn't hate it. I didn't feel like I wasted my money. It just wasn't great, you know, and it, it, it could have been great. And I don't think an R rating would have saved it. The PG-13 doesn't kill the movie. But it just, to me, it felt like one of those cash-ins. Like, you know, we got people writing a script who don't care about the origins. They don't care about the characters being accurately represented. And they're not allowed to tie it into anything else. So it's this weird standalone movie when Venom arguably is one of the best, like, supporting characters in the Spider-Man universe. I, I, I have a hard time with a Venom movie who hasn't been established already in a Spider-Man universe. Just, just quite frankly. But if people liked it, excellent. It's doing really well, and I hope 
that they I don't I guess I don't really hope for a sequel to be quite honest because the setup for the next movie was very cringy to me. Uh, if you go watch it, you know. If you've seen it, you really know. I'm talking about that hair. You know what I'm talking about. Um, but if you haven't seen it, you know, and you want to go see it, go see it. I don't think it's a waste of money. I just was like, I was underwhelmed. And I went in with pretty low expectations, and they came into right about my expectations. So I wasn't disappointed, but, you know, I wasn't satisfied either. So now getting off of the intro, the the, the Venom movie stuff, uh, we want to talk a little bit about a follow-up to a story that we had recently. Uh, we had talked about recently, not that we had. We didn't do anything about this. But a story recently came out about Telltale release, uh, letting go of about 225 staff members. Really, really bad stuff, nasty stuff. Um, people found out about it the day of. Their insurance was set to expire mere week, like a mere week or so after they got let go. And everyone was let go with, you know, no severance or anything like that. So, um, which unfortunately was part of their contract. So, uh, the follow-up to that story though here is that the remaining skeleton crew has also lost their job, but there are still good people at the company. That's kind of confusing, but here's kind of the article I was reading. This is on the game industries.biz site. So whatever hope there was for a telltale games turnaround took a hit today as it appears the small team of employees who survived last month's mass layoffs have now joined their former colleagues, according to now former telltale narrative designer, Rachel Knoll. Uh, she said, quote on Twitter, Hey, remember how there was going to be a skeleton crew staying on for a while? And I was part of it. Nah, JK, we all just got laid off too. <laughs> End quote. Uh, an inquiry to Telltale was not immediately returned. Uh, so 250 coworkers were laid off. Well, they say, I thought it was 225, uh, were laid off in September. As I said, would go forward with a staff of 25 to fulfill the company's obligations to its board and partners. And that was, uh, my understanding was Minecraft stories. They had something to finish up for Microsoft. Um, then a few days later, and this we didn't get to talk about, but a few days later, they announced that they had been talking with potential partners who might be able to complete the final season of Telltale's flagship Walking Dead franchise. Um, so uh, let's see. Okay, so then there's an update where Noel, the, the person who commented on Twitter earlier, um, quote, I think there was some misunderstanding about my earlier message. There are still good people at the company. My team is done. So they're saying that there are still people at Telltale just not any of her team that was part of that skeleton crew. Um, and when asked what they were working on, she said she was unsure. Um, when asked how many Telltale employees are left, she responded, quote, not many, end quote. So that was kind of the follow-up was, not only did we have the mass layoffs a few weeks ago, now we have this, like, even more people getting laid off. So they must either be hitting those obligations or not able to even meet those expectations and obligations. So we go from that though, and we go to this follow-up story, which is uh, which is really nice. Um, that Telltale's The Walking Dead will be finished by another company. So they had clearly been working on something, uh, working on some sort of background deal to get it done. And who they made the deal with is actually also very interesting. So Skybound Games will complete season four of Telltale's The Walking Dead. Skybound Games is part of the company behind The Walking Dead comics. In fact, I want to say it's called Skybound Media, and it's actually Robert Kirkman's company. And Robert Kirkman is the man who writes The Walking Dead. And he's part of The Walking Dead TV show now. He's a writer there, and he wants to be involved in the game. So this is actually pretty cool. So the, you know, the, the start of the story is, oh, man, that sucks, because you've got this remaining few people are laid off, but now we kind of get the swing around like, Hey, they were working to make sure that the people that bought the game 
we're able to get the finished product, which is important. But also what I like is that they talked about, and there's gonna be more details coming soon, but they also talked about how, let's see here, I wanna get to it. Um, According to the statement from Skybound, the company will work with people from the original Walking Dead team to finish the series. Quote, Skybound will work with members of the original Telltale team to finish the story in a way the fans deserve. End quote. So this seems to be like they're going to be looking at uh, the original employees. So the people who might still be looking for work, who are laid off, who know this engine and this game intimately will hopefully be the ones working on it. So that's good for two reasons. One, it helps with a a good product to come out. So now you've got the people who originally worked on it, working on it more. That's good. They're, they're intimate to the project, but more importantly, it could mean that people that were working on the game that might have had a hard time finding more work or finding a new home. They now may have work and may have a job and it's only a couple weeks after they got let go. So it's, it's awesome and it's great to hear and just very awesome. Now, unfortunately around this though, there seems to be two very interesting sides split um, right down the middle on this one. And it's funny because one of the first comments here on the Kotaku article is going to get there and I want to read it, but it's when you, for some reason there's two sides and one side is I, I want my finished product. And then the other side is you shouldn't care about a finished project when people's lives and jobs are at stake. And I think just like the first comment down here says, why not? Why not both? Why can't they're not mutually exclusive? And I'll get to that because I want to give credit. to. Um, so Macedonius on Kotaku's forum said, you know, it is possible to feel bad for the employees, but still be happy the season gets finished. The two aren't mutually exclusive. So the reason I started that was because this very first comment, yay, the video, the employees are all out of work and no severance or health insurance, but I get my video game, obviously sarcasm, but that's not what people are excited about. Like, this has been really frustrating to me watching a lot of the comments and things because especially on Twitter, when this was all going down, there were a lot of people. Cause e even I said it too. I said, you know, it really sucks that they don't get severance, that their health insurance is running out. That really sucks. But it, it all depends on how their contracts were. And, and I know we even talked about how some employees can't even get unemployment because they weren't employees. They were contracted workers whose contract was terminated early. And so, Yes, what a lot of those contracts and things are made to the benefit of the company. So if something like this happens, they don't have to owe all this extra money. They can get out clean. And so it sucks. And I'm the first one to say, like, these employees were not treated properly. They were not taken care of. But to say something like, hey, a new company is going to pick up where this company left off and finish the game and to somehow try to argue that now this new company needs to pay severance to 250 employees of, a, of, a, of another company. Like that's really doesn't make sense. I'm sorry, it doesn't. And while that'd be awesome if some company just swooped in and like saved the day, it's not usually how it works, unfortunately. And so to to think that is wrong though too, like to think that they that this Skybound Games owes something to those other employees, they don't. Um, but what they can do is they can still help. And we should we should show appreciation for that help if it is. And who knows? Maybe they're only gonna hire five people that were managers to finish the game and not the actual employees. Well, then that would suck. And that'd be disingenuous to what they're quoting here on Twitter. But, you know, it, I think we have to get out of this mentality that for some reason, like those employees were, were owed severance when it may not be how their contract was set up and, and it sucks, but that's just the truth of the matter. And the fact that their health insurance was set to run out at a certain date, like they got, they got boned and, and they got cheated on that deal, but it's not up to another company to save them. 
And so while nothing would make me happier than to have them all find homes and get to keep working on the project, so many of the people working on Walking Dead had said, we want the game to get finished because we worked so hard on it. And there are a lot of passionate people, you know, very, very much involved in this project that want to see it finished. Um, but I don't understand why there's this split of people who want the game. And if you only want the game and don't care about the rest, I think that's kind of crappy too. Like, I always say this, but we need to be better. Like, be better customers, be better fans. Like, listen to the whole story, you know? And I'm not saying boycott this game because they didn't treat their employees right. But look at the whole scenario. Say, you know what? I want my game. I paid for the season pass as a customer. I don't want to get ripped off personally. But then you can also say, and it sucks for all the employees. It's not their fault that the game didn't get finished. They're in a crappy situation too. Probably, I mean, realistically crappier than ours of not getting the rest of our game when they may not even have a job and be able to afford their homes and such. And that's worse, but it's like, it's not a competition as to who's in more of a crappier spot. Right. I think all of us that, and I didn't, but all the people that bought the game and feel ripped off, you can absolutely sympathize with the employees who got laid off too and still want your finished product. Again, they're not mutually exclusive. I don't really understand that. And I don't understand why everything has to be so combative now. Like there's, it's oftentimes, it's the same thing with, um, with, with, uh, like uh, politically, you know, where you've got, you know, two, two arguments that aren't necessarily the opposite sides of a coin, but they get, they get, they put us on opposite sides in our views, thinking that you can only do one or the other, you know, and that's not, that's, that's not it. You know, you can do both. You can, you can respect police and you can still not want um, people getting murdered by police. You know, it's, they're not mutually exclusive. You, you can want police to be better and safer and you can want people to not get murdered by police. And, and you can have police want to be safe in their very difficult job that they do. You know, it's not, it's not, ugh, you know, it, it's stop. Like, it's like we divide ourselves though, because we're, we're willing to pick a side and then just shut down the other side. And that's not some like lame centrist attitude. That's like looking at an entire picture and understanding the multiple sides and angles of everything and formulating opinion based on that. So again, started off a little bit of bad news. I went on a little bit of a tangent there. Start off a little bit of bad news. We've got Telltale released the rest of its almost the rest of its employees, but Skybound Games will be finishing Walking Dead season four, the final season, which is awesome because then people again, people who paid for it get to have their game and hopefully they'll bring in the majority of the staff that were working on this game. Now, that's not going to be everybody because you have to remember Telltale was a big company working on multiple projects. So this isn't all 225 employees. It might be a small handful of 20 employees that were working on the final season, but that's still better than nobody. And so it's it's good and it's good news and let's i hope to hear more and there's gonna be more details coming soon uh and i'm really hoping that uh that that they get to see their vision to the end all right so next i want to talk a little bit about the playstation 5 so we've been hearing some rumors coming down as of late most notably about backwards compatibility on the playstation 5 so right now there's not a lot of concrete info on the PlayStation 5. We know it's in development, obviously. Uh, my prediction is it's going to come out in 2020. Uh, a lot of people are saying 2021 or beyond. Uh, so, you know, it is. Uh, it, it could be either one. Uh, you know, obviously, they have a plan in place. The PS4 is doing great. You never want to often... You don't want to release a system on the toes of another one that's super successful because you don't want to lose out sales on the old one. But we are getting to... I mean, this is year five of the PlayStation 4, and by 2020, it'll be year seven. 
So it's definitely like it's not unrealistic to think that we're getting through this console cycle. You know, every seven years or so is pretty. I mean, that's pretty good. The uh, the PlayStation Three launched in 2016, and the PS4 came out in 2013. So that's seven years. So seven or eight years, like that's very realistic. So yes, there is gonna be a PlayStation Five coming. They'll probably call it the PlayStation Five. I would think. Um, why not? And but this this was interesting because someone brought up that there was a a, a, a patent. Uh, recently was filed privately but updated on October 2nd so the original patent was titled remastering by emulation and it was registered to Sony Interactive Entertainment the parent company of the PlayStation brand and here's a little summary of the patent Um, I had the patent up but it's really hard to read so we're just going to read this nice summary here that uh, gear nuke did for us Um, quote, each asset, such as a texture called for by legacy software, such as a legacy computer game software, has a unique identifier associated with it. The unique identifier can be rendered by imposing a hash on the asset, and then the asset is stored with its identifier in a data structure. An artist remasters the textures for presentation on a higher resolution display than envisioned in the original software and stores them back in the data structure with their identifiers. The original software is then played on the higher resolution display with assets such as texture calls being intercepted, identified, and the data structure entered to retrieve the remastered asset having a matching identifier. The remastered asset is then inserted on the fly into the game's presentation. So... That's a lot of uh, jargon. <laughs> so if you aren't still with me, let me try to break this down a little bit for you. So each asset, such as a texture called for by legacy software. So what they're saying is every asset, like a texture. So imagine like a PS1 game, a texture. I'm going to go really, really like basic for you guys here in case you don't know. So a texture is basically what is wrapped around the object. So say you have, let's say I'm trying to pick a 3D game. Let's say Spyro the Dragon. In Spyro the Dragon, you have a model. You have a 3D model that is Spyro the Dragon. Well, the texture is the 2D plane that goes around that model that essentially wraps it and is its skin, if you want to think of it like that. So textures are like the skin. So if you're in a house and you're, you're playing a video game, it's got a house and the walls, and they have like, you know, the walls are the texture on the object that was made by a wall. So what this is saying is that if a texture is called for by legacy software, so that'd be an old game. <laughs> I love it. As as such as a legacy computer game software has a unique identifier associated with it. So what they're saying is everything has a unique identifier. What this is saying is that it can identify that unique texture. And if they've created a new texture that's better, they can swap that texture on the fly. So this is kind of interesting. So this is almost more of a remaster sort of idea. Now, a new texture doesn't necessarily mean a better texture. It could just mean like a higher resolution, meaning that it would look crisper or sharper on a high definition display, but it would still be the original texture that it was. Oftentimes when you, I'm trying, I'm trying not to get super technical here. I've done a little bit of modeling, a little bit of skinning. So oftentimes depending on the game and the game system, you have a certain, amount of memory for storage and things like that. So oftentimes you put a cap on the resolution of your textures or on the polygon count of your models and your objects, because the more polygons you have, the larger file size it is, the higher resolution texture, the larger file size it is. And as we know with legacy devices, you only have so much storage on, you only have so much storage on CDs. So you have to limit essentially what you can do. Uh, So there's always limitations that way. 
Uh, and what this is saying is it can it can find those textures that have been remastered and on the fly playing the game, it can swap them out with remastered versions. So this is pretty cool. Now, does it necessarily point to backwards compatibility? I don't I don't necessarily think so. It could. It certainly could. Um, but this also was originally filed before Parappa the Rapper came out on PS4. So it is possible that it's a way for them to start remastering all their original games for the PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 5, but I don't think this is quite as much of a nail, like a like a superstar boom, it's for sure happening backwards compatibility on PS5. I wish it was. <laughs> I very much wish it was, because if somehow the PlayStation 5 could play all PS4 games, which I think it will, being that it's... Backwards compatibility was weird on the PS4, and to go back a little bit to try to talk about it, so the reason that the PS4 is not backwards compa uh, compatible with the PlayStation 3 is because of how different the PlayStation 3 was. So with the PlayStation 3, they tried something very different. They went with the uh, the cell processor, if you remember. So it's multiple processors working together. It was a headache for developers. It was new. It was different. It didn't work like a traditional PC uh, x86 like processor. Um, architecture it just didn't work that way and, but it was powerful when you used it properly Metal Gear Solid 4 is a great example Gran Turismo like the PlayStation exclusives that took full advantage of it were incredible but the average developer was like it's easier to make games for the Xbox 360 and then port them to the PS3 and the ports were usually not as good because of even though arguably the PlayStation 3 was more powerful it, it all came down to them being able to use that power so fast forward to the PS4 Sony decides you know what we got to get rid of this development headache. We have to make our system the easiest to make games for, uh, easiest to port games to other devices like the Vita. You know, we, we it has to be compatible with all that. And they do. So the PlayStation 4 is much more traditional when it comes to how a console works, how a PC would work, that sort of thing. Unfortunately, it's essentially to play PlayStation 3 games, it would have to emulate those games for the most part. And... You really can't, you know, even PC modders right now are having a hard time emulating PS3 without specifically cranking on a certain game. Like right now they've been working on Demon's Souls. It's working very, very well, but it's one PS3 game out of how many that still need some work. So it was PlayStation 4 was so different. They couldn't just say, let's play PS3 games on the PS4. And it sucks because I wish it could, but I understand why it can't. Fast forward to the PlayStation 5 coming out. That is going to be very similarly structured to how the PlayStation 4 is. So if the PlayStation 5 isn't backwards compatible, that's a conscious decision by Sony not to include that feature as opposed to uh, it actually being technically unrealistic like it was from PS3 to PS4. So this is still really cool news, though, because this still tells us that, one, they're looking at getting old things onto newer hardware, which they've been doing for a while, and obviously the PlayStation 4 was like, the, this this has been almost the port generation, you know, um, where you've seen games from the PS3 that did well ported to the PS4 because they weren't available on the PlayStation because uh, you can't play the PlayStation 3 games in a PS4. So you had games like Darksiders 1 and 2, Resident Evil 4, 5, 6. Um, 4 was even a PS2 and GameCube game technically, but you got Resident Evil 4, 5, 6, Resident Evil Origins Collection, uh, Last of Us, um, you know, so many games that you already owned, you essentially had to buy them again. Uh, now, again, you, you know my thoughts. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know my thoughts on ports. I have no problem with ports. It all has to do with the price appropriate. And uh, so Resident Evil games coming at 20 bucks, I would rebuy Resident Evil 4 for 20 bucks on PS4. It just makes sense to me. Would I rebuy Resident Evil 4 for 60 bucks on PS4? Absolutely not. 
So Last of Us was, I think, 50 when it came out, and even that was a stretch because I had played it on PS3, loved it, but 50 bucks to play it again? Mm, you know, not, not, not so sure. So uh, it would be nice, though, to do, because I will say this right now, everybody, again, if you listen to the podcast, you know I'm more of a Sony guy. I prefer the PlayStation brand over the Xbox brand. But lately, I'm so digging the Xbox backwards compatibility. I love the fact that I can grab an original Xbox game off the shelf and pop it into my Xbox One. It downloads the game, and then I can play it as long as the disc's in the drive. But that's fantastic. I don't want to hook up my original Xbox to play games. I want to hook it up through my Xbox One X that I've got hooked up through my 4K TV, and I want to play it, and I want it to look nice. That's all. I don't, I don't want to have to hook up my Xbox through component or composite or run it through something HDMI cable to try to get it to work and look nice. I don't. And so I've always been a fan of backwards compatibility. And when the PlayStation 3 came out and it could do one, two, and three games, I was like, oh, man, this is like the bee's knees. Like, this is the business. And I don't mind how Microsoft does it, where if it's a game on the store that you can buy digital, but if you own the disc, you pop it in and it lets you download the game. Like, that makes sense to me, you know? And don't let you play it if you don't have the disc in there. That's how you prevent the copying and piracy aspect of it. So I like it. I like what Microsoft's doing big time with that. And Sony, so to me, it's the one thing that Sony got the the got one up on this generation even though playstation's doing great it's the one thing that was holding them back in my opinion you could argue crossplay but they're working on that now i don't actually think crossplay is that big of a deal um it's not like that that's not as big of a deal like that's not a feature that's that's going to hurt you as something like backwards compatibility is especially for collectors and as collecting gets bigger and bigger like we want to play our old games still so very cool stuff. Um, talking about the PlayStation five backwards compatibility though. I think that's a bit of a stretch and I don't, I, I don't, I can't say that based off of this. Um, let's see. And, and so I was on push square and they kind of also talked about this. They said, um, uh, they said, but we don't think it's definitive proof. So they said a patent spotted by gear nuke has prompted fresh PlayStation five backwards compatibility rumors. Although we're not convinced the site's speculation is entirely accurate. The documentation to be fair is legit. It's named remastering by emulation and was filed all the way back in 2016 before being published publicly this month. The abstract talks about taking original software and then inserting new assets on the fly. That's what we talked about. Um, we personally believe that the patent pertains to some of Sony's recent remasters like Parappa the Rapper. For those of you who don't know, the Japanese giant Sony actually created a PSP emulator for the PS4, which it's used for several games like Loco Roco Remastered and Patapon Remastered. So they've already got a PSP emulator working on the PS4. The way this works is that it takes the portable game code but replaces the original assets with 4K ones, resulting in more modern presentation. That also, I think, would allow you to... That's how I think they're going to work out having it on widescreen as opposed to not even though the PSP was a widescreen. So it actually, a lot of those games were kind of already set for that, you know, for that resolution. Um, we believe that, uh, let's see what the patent is referring to, especially when you consider the documentation was filed in 2016. Now we still firmly believe that the PS5, now we still firmly believe that the PS5 will be backwards compatible with PS4. That's what I was saying, but this patent isn't proof of that in our eyes. So I, I totally agree with that. Um, it, it's for sure going to play PS4 games. And again, if it doesn't, that's a business decision by Sony, which is bad news. But here's some good news as to why they probably will include it. Right now, they have so much momentum on the PS4. You don't want to kill your momentum for the PS5 by not allowing all of your PS4 customers to want to upgrade to that. You want to capture your PS4 customers by saying all your old software works. Bring it on to us. Buy the new hardware. Start buying the new games. And as the old games keep coming on the PS4, we'll go. What I also want to see is all that digital stuff work. 
And I would love if somehow all the digital stuff that was on PS3 could also be played on PS4 and PS5 because I've got so many great digital games on PS3 that are only on PS3. And I want those to play on PS4 and PS5 and be quote unquote future proof. I want to be able to access them for years and years to come. So hopefully that's a thing and hopefully that's uh, that's possible. But again, so with this patent, not necessarily locked in. Um, I think the PlayStation 5 will be backwards compatible, but this recent release of that patent that was filed is not definitive proof of that. So we should, uh, so we should just be aware of that, I guess. And so don't, um, you know, don't murder me if I'm wrong, but you know, hopefully, uh, I'm right. And we get the backwards compatibility that we all seem to want as PlayStation fans. And then let's see here. Let's close a few of these windows out. And then, so I got, I got two more, two more littles here, and uh, let's see what we're at. So first, we're gonna talk about. Let's see here. Let me cue. Let me cue this up. So we're gonna talk about next. Uh, Microsoft's new Xbox Game Cloud streaming tech is called Project X Cloud. So this news just came out yesterday. The Xbox games will start streaming across multiple devices. So I'm going to read this article. This is on Polygon. Xbox One games are headed to the cloud, headed up to the cloud and down onto myriad other devices starting in 2019. Microsoft on Monday announced Project X Cloud, which it refers to as a, quote, global game streaming technology, end quote, that will allow users to play their console and Windows PC games on mobile devices and more. With Project X Cloud, Microsoft aims to provide a similar play experience on mobile devices as they get in Xbox One systems and PCs. The biggest hurdle, as is typical with game streaming, is minimizing lag. So what they're talking about is input lag. So if you don't know how game streaming like this works, let me kind of break it down for you real quick. So you're not playing the game on the device that you're playing on. What is essentially happening is if you have a really strong internet connection, when you're using a controller or you're hitting buttons on the tablet or device, your device is sending those button input signals to a computer, and that computer is basically beaming the video signal back to you. So you're streaming the video signal and the button inputs, and you're playing a game off-site, which is actually really interesting. I think it's pretty cool. But the problem is... If you don't have really good internet, if you notice even a split second delay, that can oftentimes, how do you play a shooter if you're a half a second behind somebody else? Or a game like Cuphead, which was, which requires like precision jumping and shooting. If you've got input lag, it can kill you. Fighting games, that's been, input lag's been a thing on fighting games forever. Even as little and minute as it is from the TV sending the signal you know, like the, from the HDMI to the TV, there's sometimes some older TVs have input lag. And so it can cause a delay, which can be just a killer for the game. And other other companies have tried something similar. So technically, the uh, Gaikai service, which was bought by Sony, it's called PlayStation Now, is the exact same thing. So you connect their new service. It's, it's like Netflix for games. Like Netflix doesn't download the movies to your TV. You stream them from somewhere else. But if, you have, if you're like, you don't have input with a Netflix movie, you watch it. So you don't need to... You know, you don't need to have the perfect internet for that because it can stream it. It can go at lower quality, things like that. Um, this is a little bit different because it's two-way communication. You're not just getting the signal. You're sending back as well. So it has to process everything. Um, and so PlayStation does that with the PlayStation Now service. Uh, and it's kind of the same thing. Uh, they've been doing it seemingly successful, but there's a lot of little lag issues there. And not enough that destroyed the service, but enough where it made me not want to use it. I was like, well, I, I can just... I don't know. I'd just rather not play it. I'd rather not use it. I'd rather just buy the game and play it like it should be. Um, but it's interesting because 
this this is obviously coming before any sort of announcement from Sony about uh, or from Microsoft about their next console. There's been a lot of rumors about Microsoft really wanting to push a streaming game console as their next console, maybe one without a disk drive entirely. You'll just stream everything from their service. Microsoft announced recently the Xbox Game Pass, which you pay for uh, what is it? Uh, six hundred and twenty bucks a year, I think, or is it sixty bucks a year? Whatever it ends up being, I forget. I have it. <laughs> um, but you know, so it's that sort of idea. It's that Netflix sort of idea, but for games, which we're finally getting to that point. I still wish you could download them though, which is what uh, Game Pass lets you do. Game Pass lets you download them. Originally, Sony's PlayStation Now service did not let you do that. They do let you do that now. So it, it, it's it's funny how things are changing and quite uh, and quite bouncing. Anyway, I want to keep uh, talking a little bit more about this. So we are testing Project X Cloud today, the company wrote in a blog post. The test runs on devices, mobile phones and tablets, paired with an Xbox One wireless controller through Bluetooth. It is also playable using touch input, which I don't even imagine how that would work, but okay. The immersive nature of consoles and PC games often require controls that are mapped to multiple keys, buttons, sticks, and triggers. We are developing a new game-specific touch input overlay that provides maximum response and a minimal footprint for players who choose to play without a controller. So they're saying that there's going to be like an overlay on your tablet or mobile device that would be like a controller. So they're going to figure out a way if you want to play with touch controls, you can, or you can sync up an Xbox wireless controller through Bluetooth. Uh, currently, Project X Cloud supports 4G and 5G cellular networks and uses Microsoft Azure, the company's cloud computing service, as part of the stabilization process. Project X Cloud will enter public beta in 2019, with no specific release timing announced. The service sounds much like Google's streaming platform Project Stream, which was also recently announced, with the company revealed last week and is uh, launching in beta in October. Microsoft beat Google to the punch, however. Project X Cloud was first revealed during E3, so this isn't even technically new. It's just that they finally have announced that it's like coming you know although the presentation was much lighter on details phil spencer the executive vice president of gaming at microsoft also tucked up the console as service in 2017 so this really goes along with everything we've kind of heard about microsoft at this point which is they want to go to cloud we, we always joked about that with the xbox one era but it was more powerful with the cloud power in the cloud the cloud the cloud you can do everything with the cloud well this is taking almost the entire gaming experience to cloud and and so Times are getting wild, you know. I still think that the PlayStation 5 will be your traditional game system. Sony had a lot of success with the 4, and I don't think they feel like they have to change that with the 5. Um, Microsoft might try something different. And I remember a quote a long time ago from someone who's not even at Microsoft anymore. But it was when the original Xbox came out, and it had only an Ethernet port in the back. It didn't have dial-up. And if you remember, when the PlayStation 2 came out, it originally didn't have a modem built in. You had to buy it separately. But when it did come out, it had dial-up and and uh, Ethernet port. Well, the Xbox came out with just an Ethernet port. And I remember the quote was something along the lines of, we'll pull people into the future kicking and screaming if we have to. So Microsoft's mentality has always been, even if they're not ready for it, we're going to pull people into the future. And while it wasn't the same person, I feel like that was their strategy with the Xbox One. They thought, you know what, we can do no used games. We can you can link up, you know, you can pop a game in, install it, not have to play it anymore because it's linked to your system. We'll get rid and and like I they were, they were too far ahead of the game at that point. the The average consumer was not ready to adopt an online only console with not being able to sell your used games after you buy them and stuff like that. So you, the first thing you have to wonder is is if this is the core of their new console. Is this going to be, is this, if this is the core of the new console, is it too soon? 
has Microsoft set themselves up for another Xbox One slow start by making a bunch of mistakes and then having to re having to re-energize that and having to to rearrange your strategy. Uh, I don't think so. I think this is actually about on par, and they're setting they're setting it up now so that if it comes out in two years and that's their new console, they've already started setting it up. So we're already getting to the point where they're they're basically bracing for impact of such a thing, as opposed to with the Xbox One, they just made this announcement out of nowhere, and everyone was like, uh, "No, we don't want that." Here, they're gauging interest. They're they're making it more of a service, and they're they've got the Game Pass going. They've got the X Cloud's going to be going soon. They're 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 laying the stage, right? They're they're setting the stage for what they want to do. And I say this as a staunch Sony supporter. I love Sony. I prefer them. Microsoft is thinking of the future. This puts them in a very unique spot. Not saying that Sony isn't, but I think we will see a very traditional console from Sony. They'll look at where the, where we are, you know, obviously look at the PS4. It added things like built-in streaming and and sharing, and it, it understood that that's like the social media generation. Like, it understood all that. It added all those features. But it was still very much a core experience, a core game console at its, at its, at base level. Microsoft here is trying to rethink how we play video games and it will be interesting to see if it works now always the problem with stuff like this is internet connectivity and right now i mean the the a lot of places in the united states still don't have access to high-speed internet let alone want to pay for internet in fact there's customers that come into my store all the time that just ask if they can hook up to our wi-fi and update their xbox one because they don't have internet at home that still happens more than you would think. Um, we're, we're right next to a college campus and college kids there have internet, but the internet totally sucks. So the Xbox detects the internet says, Oh, there's internet here. You need an update. But then they try to download the update and it takes 40, 50 hours because the internet there is capped and, um, and, and, uh, they block certain things. So, I don't know if by that time we'll be there. Obviously, Time Warner right now in our area is making incredible strides in speeds. I think I'm up to like two or three or 400 down now. And so, you know, we're getting to the point where we're just getting like these incredibly miraculous speeds, you know, in a city where you can do that. Is it going to be like that everywhere? Um, we also have issues with, you know, we're talking net neutrality rules and, and if anything changes there where, you know, and, and monopoly rules against, um, you know, only one internet provider in areas and such. So it, there's a whole bunch of stuff in the air about it, but it, it is interesting and they are, they are, they are poising themselves for a future of gaming like this. Um, I think eventually that's how it's going to be. And I, I've always said this for many years and I say this depressingly as a video game store owner we will see an all digital future one day i do believe that i believe that whether it's cloud or it's everything just will be you know downloaded instead of buying physical discs in a store you know it, i think that is the future but i don't think it's this next generation and microsoft might do both they might have a cheaper streaming console box and then they might have the more expensive this one has a disc drive and you play traditional games in it. You know, even Sony tried this with the PSP Go. They made a portable called the PSP, had played games and everything. Then they made the Go, which did not have a disc drive. It was solely a downloadable machine, which, you know, to many people's chagrin, but it was a more compact, no moving parts to go wrong and to break. Like it, it was a good machine. Minus not being able to play. And the only downside about that, though, is not every game was available on the store. So if you bought a Go, you were limiting yourself to like half the library right out of the gate. And so there were issues with that. But again, that was, my God, I don't even know when the Go came out. Are we talking like 2006, 2007 maybe? I don't know, somewhere around there. 
And, but, but Microsoft is poised for the future if that's what the future is. Uh, funny story, when I used to work at GameStop, I remember, and this is, so I haven't worked there for seven and a half years. So let's go back like 10 years probably. So 2007. I remember talking to somebody at corporate and their vision of the future was one day GameStop wouldn't even carry games anymore. You would walk in with some sort of storage device. Like at that time it was flash drives were all the rage, but you know, now it's, you'd walk in with a portable hard drive or something. You would buy your game from GameStop, plug into the computer, they'll transfer it to you or you'll plug into a wall. Like they even talked about touch screens. You'd walk up to a wall. You don't have to talk to a clerk. It's almost like a vending machine. You walk up, you pick the game you want, you plug in your USB device you pick the game, you pay for it with your credit card or PayPal, and then it downloads the game for you. Or uh, I shouldn't say download, like it it copies it so it would actually be fast. Copies it to your hard drive, and you leave. And you have the game. And then you go home, you take it to your game console, you plug in your hard drive, and you're good to go. Now, logistically, is that realistic? Who knows? I mean, it's going to be something that that is different. But And is GameStop going to survive long enough to... Would, would GameStop survive in a digital-only sales market? Uh, I don't think so. But... It's still an interesting thought. And the fact that they were thinking about that 10 years ago is kind of wild, you know? And, and just to think that that's how far ahead they've been talking about this all digital revolution, um, which is still, I think, on the horizon. I just don't think it's this next generation. I think it's the generation after. So I think we're thinking, you know, let's say two more years to the next console, generously speaking. So that's 2020. And then console seven or eight years after that, let's say 2028. So in, six, in, in uh, 10 years... We'll have an all-digital revolution. Okay, probably ready for it by then. Internet infrastructure should be better. Um, but this is cool. And and as somebody who's not a super fan of Microsoft, I still like this. And what I'd love to see is them do this and then Sony copy it and do it better. <laughs> that would make me happy. But Microsoft is poised for the future. And what I love about it is that it's different. And being different sometimes, pushing innovation is important. Uh, pushing gaming and making it more innovative is important, and I very much want to see where this goes. All right, uh, and then lastly, I want to talk a little bit about... Uh, so this was five days ago. Let me bring this up here. And So lastly, I'm going to talk about the Monster Hunter movie, which kind of makes me want to die inside, to be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> now we had known for a while that they were looking at a monster hunter movie. They had sold the rights off. We covered this before. Well, unfortunately it started filming. <laughs> it's not just a, a rumor anymore. It's not just a possibility. It's actually happening. Mila Jovovich is starring in it. Uh, Ron Perlman is in it. Um, Here's the here's the article on Polygon. Monster Hunter is officially headed to Hollywood with a live-action feature film based on the franchise now in production. Capcom confirmed Thursday that the project is in development at Constantin Film following months of reports from Hollywood trade publications. Paul W.S. Anderson of the Resident Evil film franchise, he's like the U.S. Uwe Boll. Uh, he's reteaming with the publisher to adapt Monster Hunter, serving as director, writer, and producer. His involvement was also rumored earlier this year when details about the unannounced film adaptation were leaking out. Capcom did not announce a release window for the film, which will be distributed in the U.S. by Sony's genre imprint Screen Gems. However, the company said that principal photography is set to begin this month in Namibia and South Africa. Despite all the gossip throughout the year, Capcom is keeping most of the details close to the vest. So the company's synopsis isn't telling as much. This is what we know thus far about the live-action movie, which is tentatively titled Monster Hunter. 
Quote, the film tells the story of two heroes who come from different worlds to defeat a shared danger, the powerful, deadly, and magnificent monsters that inhabit the land. Along the way, viewers will make new discoveries and encounter familiar faces and beloved characters from the games like The Admiral. So I've played every, uh, I've played every Monster Hunter. I don't know who the hell the Admiral is. I don't know what they're talking about. And if it's just me being, like, dumb, if he's, like, the main guy from Monster Hunter Worlds, maybe... Was he called the Admiral? Like, is this this thing? So, Monster Hunter is completely devoid of any story. Like, okay, it's not a story-based game. If you play it, yes, they're like, oh, this island, you're going to this island, it's called the New Land, and, and it's got all these resources you can harvest, but there's monsters. Like, okay, that's literally the story. Like, the story sucks, okay? And it's fine. It's not meant to be a good story. It's meant to be a good game. And it's a great game. Um... But how do you make a movie out of this? I don't understand. I don't... Ugh, please, someone save me. Like, I don't understand. And one of my favorite game series of all time is just getting an ass movie. And, and it's going to be terrible. Um, so, moving on. They go on to say, Also left out of the announcement is the movie's cast. Although we've heard rumblings about at least one member. Mila Jovovich is reportedly starring in Monster Hunter. That's it's actually confirmed. She tweeted out her first picture. Which, uh, uh, bringing back together her Resident Evil director and husband, Paul W.S. Anderson. Other reported cast members include Tony Ja of Ongbak. That's actually kind of cool. Rapper-turned-actor T.I. and Ron Perlman. <laughs> Quote, after living and breathing in the universe of Monster Hunter for 14 years, we are thrilled with enormous anticipation to see our creations adapted for a theatrical release, said Ryozo Sujimoto, producer of the Monster Hunter series. Capcom is on a feature film tear, it seems, as this is the second adaptation that was announced today. Just this morning, the company revealed that a live-action take on Mega Man is in the works. Uh, I didn't talk about that because I don't really care about Mega Man and I don't care about the Mega Man movie. So, at least Monster Hunter I care about. Not that I care about the Monster Hunter movie. So, there you have it, folks. Capcom has sold the rights to Monster Hunter and the movie is in production. Um, let, me, let me take a quick... Uh, Monster Hunter. Let, I want to say, yeah. So here we go. So, so here is. Oh, get this out of here. Continue without supporting. Get out of here with that. Um. Okay. So here's Mila Mila Jovovich. Uh, her first picture. Um. Quote. This is her tweet. First day of filming on hashtag Monster Hunter movie based on the epic game hashtag Monster Hunter World. As you can see, my character is glamorous as usual. Here's the makeup progression by the awesome Kelly Skelton from the beginning of Dirt Slash Wounds to the finished product. I've been training for this day since February, so definitely excited to start production. So here's the start. Oh, look at this incredible makeup. It just looks like dirt. And then <laughs> and then here's more some cuts and stuff. So, Oh my god, it's a Monster Hunter movie, folks. Just, I'm going to go see it. I'm going to see it, and I'm going to tell you all about it. And I have zero hope that this movie will be good. Zero chance that this movie is fun and awesome and interesting. And that's all I got for you guys today. So um, I'm going to talk about... The game I want to talk about today is for the Super Nintendo. It is a game called Evo. And if you follow me on Twitter, at... Drop rate, Greg. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, I posted this the other day, but I post a lot of these things, uh, the, the really cool stuff we get in the store. But this was really cool because it came home with me. So Evo is a game 
for the Super Nintendo. It's called E.V.O. E-V-O. And so Evo is a game for the Super Nintendo. It is one of the holy grails. It is one of the most rare games on the console. Um, the one I acquired uh, was between the $500 and $700 range. I'm going to leave it at that. It is in the box complete. It is dead mint. It is fantastic. I'm so happy with it. And the game itself, though, is kind of weird. You start off as like a little little eel or a little fish with no fins and as you kind of you're swimming around you're doing different things and you have to kill enemies you like you have like a dash button where you bash into them and you you go down you eat food and you bash enemies and you level up and as you level up you get to pick like oh i want to have a stronger dorsal fin or i want to have a stronger nose like a like a more damaging nose and you go around and you actually fight enemies and such and then eventually you evolve to land and then once you're on land, you do the same thing. You fight enemies, you do other things, and you fight bosses, and you're leveling up, and you're evolving throughout the game. Really neat. It's not like it's not the most greatest game ever, um, but it's really, really fun and unique. It's called EVO. I highly recommend playing it. Uh, like I said, super rare and expensive, so maybe try it on emulator, watch a YouTube video. Maybe I'll do a video on it. Probably won't. Maybe I will. Who knows? Um, but maybe I will. Probably won't. Maybe. I'm thinking about it. I'll consider it. Probably not today. But anyway, uh, I always appreciate everyone for listening and even even sharing, listening, following along. It's uh, it's so much fun. I love doing this for you guys and gals. And uh, I, I love that, uh, you know, people love it and that, that people keep letting me know that they like it a lot. So uh, with that being said, uh, if you haven't followed me on Twitter, please do. I'm at DropRateGreg. You can go to YouTube.com slash DropRate, and that will get you to not the DropRate, just YouTube.com slash drop rate we got the we got that without the so it's nice so youtube.com slash drop rate you can follow our youtube channel there we are we blew past 3100 subs so you know we're just keep grinding away i think we'll maybe hit 30 if we're lucky maybe 35 by the end of the year um so you know just just grinding away the sub count and just trying to keep doing what we're doing you know and making videos and and it now we're into like the slow process you know where I mean, our videos aren't really exploding, but they're getting steady traction and we're adding a couple subs a day. And so it's just like, okay, just a couple subs a day. And you know, that's, that's 20, 30 subs a week. And that's, you know, that's a hundred, 200 subs a month, you know, and just, you keep going and going. And, and then we're in the slow grind where it starts to feel almost like it almost starts to feel endless, but I guess it is, you know, the end game was never to do this fast and make a bunch of money. It was to get our opinions out there and have a YouTube channel that was fun and to grow into something else. Um, which I think we're doing. So again, I appreciate you there. If you, if you're listening to this on YouTube though, or if you're on SoundCloud, you can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just go to iTunes podcast and search for game talk radio that will, uh, and then look for the little Sprite, my little Sprite character with the game trade shirt. So thank you again, everybody so much. Appreciate you. I, I love this and I'll always keep doing it as long as you keep listening. So thank you very much. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a good day.